0: Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. And you're probably wondering where the hell we've been. Uh, But so much has been happening at AOTG.com. We're doing a worldwide pub tour. As of next week, you can find us in London on Saturday, uh, June 21st, I believe. 25th will be in Amsterdam. We're going to be in Toronto in July and LA in August. So we're going to pubs at all these places. And we've been working to get drinks for people. We've been working to get prizes for people it's pretty amazing uh, stuff that we're going to be doing. We've also launched uh, Postmortem, which is a YouTube video thing once a week. It comes out every Friday, and it's literally just myself and Andre sitting down and chatting about what's happened in post that week, what's happened on AOTG.com, and any releases we've done. And speaking of releases, we released our plugins finally. So if you go to AOTG.com slash plugins, you can actually download them for your browser. The Interview I'm doing here is a special one. That's why there's no intro music or anything special about it. Uh, what it is is we released the Assembly magazine aotg.com/assembly, and I decided to interview a bunch of the people involved just to give people some background information and introduce them to these these people who've written these articles for us. So in this one, I actually interview uh, Brian Atkinson and I've known Brian for quite a while now and what's amazing is I've got to watch his career grow and blossom He's cut several independent and low-budget features and he's doing a major feature uh, this summer he's out in Newfoundland right now and so he's doing some amazing work and it's just always amazing to see people sort of achieve their dreams or get closer to their dreams in some way and I love it when people email me who've been listening for a while or who have emailed in before and they update me on what they've been working on Because I just love to hear the transitions and how they're they're making out. So Brian and I talk a lot about film. Uh, I've known Brian for a while, and I love listening to him talk about film because he's so articulate. And so enjoy. We end up talking. We start off talking about his article for uh, the CCE. Just what happens is we end up talking film, (laughs) and that's sort of usually what happens. Uh, Unfortunately, we jump right into this interview. The audio is a bit rough because well, we're we're just sort of hanging out having coffees. So enjoy the interview and of course check out our plugins aotg.com slash plugins check out our pub night schedule you can go to aotg.com it's in the right hand side and of course check out the assembly which uh, Brian has an article in so all about cutting Hannibal check it out it's aotg.com slash assembly and here's our interview
1: we're really privileged that we get a lot of really good speakers in Toronto um and the CC has been good about like organizing those panels so this was a really good opportunity to kind of like share and like let people know I think some people who aren't associate members yet and uh, don't know about the CC aren't really aware of some of the benefits and I think that some of those panels can be like really really informative so it was a good opportunity to uh to like eliminate some of that uh, and so because the CC is young right it's not that five years old maybe I was just gonna say about five years old I think I've been a member for about three and a half years now yeah and oh I remember the first talk because I helped them put on the first talk
0: and it was Paul Day and Paul Weinstock giving the Cause that's because they were so small at that point it was like 20 people yeah and uh, we could only get like five people out and The problem was, is I booked a room for them at Ryerson that held 400. (laughs) (laughs) so we're sitting in a room of 400 and there's five people. And of course, nobody sits together, right? You know how everyone's like, oh, I'm going to get my own seat. And so it's like one person in row three, one person in row one, another person. In row ten, yeah. Yeah. And Paul Day and Paul Weinstock just killed it in their talk. And it was interesting because I think. Two or three of the
1: people there out of the five are now members great but and that's the idea i guess yeah, too. Yeah. you know it's like getting getting people involved in a way that you know it's gonna pique the curiosity not only about the craft but about like the organization but yeah the uh i found the panel like really really interesting. I know Stephen Phillipson personally, but uh, the other editors I'm, I don't have a personal relationship with and it was nice to kind of get their, their insights. I know I know Michael Doherty's career um, from some of the stuff he's cut. Yeah, he's got an amazing career with, with like yeah, the other horror and I've heard him talk about sound before. but uh, Hannibal was a really good example because for me I'm always used to uh, you know I spent a long time living in Vancouver and I you know used to a lot of American productions coming into town, shooting, and it's great for the economy, you know, they bring their productions to town from pr- production standpoint, but uh, after they shoot, they leave town. And as a post-production professional, you kind of, you know, wonder what the realities of, you know, like for me, growing up in this industry, I'm just trying to figure out like what's what's the future and what are the productions that I'm gonna be um, exposed to. Um, and uh, we have a lot of really good Canadian content, but there's also, you know, like something like Hannibal's incredibly successful. So it's nice to have, the um, the opportunity for you know people like Stephen Michael and whatnot to to vie for those you know those jobs and I know now that Netflix is in town it's the same deal. Let's uh, let's talk about Hannibal's editing. What did you notice? Anything special about it or anything that people need to know about? From an editing standpoint, one of the things that I think is probably the most kind of valuable and standout for Hannibal as a show, especially a network show, is the pacing and. Uh, Personally, I'm, you know, I'm really, really drawn to cinema and people always talk about like the cinematics and stuff like that. And I really appreciate something that's got a more deliberate pace and isn't necessarily catering towards like commercial breaks in the same way and isn't catering towards what, you know, everyone's kind of like offhandedly kind of just dubbed like that MTV, you know, faster style of editing, Um, especially, uh, you know, you've got a procedural. Uh, everybody's aware of like, you know, a lot of the other shows on television, like CSI, that have like, a very, very different pace to them, but the creators are very good at maintaining this deliberate pace that I think speaks to the characters, speaks to Hannibal, and, and speaks to the psychosis in the show. And it allows, I think it allows people uh, a, little, like, a little bit more pathos, actually, you know, spending time, you know, you're talking about a character who's all about control. And I think that demonstrating that control through the the actual form of the show can be quite valuable, you know, that that patience that Dr. Hannibal Lecter has. And And it's not only that, it's like the meticulous
0: sort of detail to the the murder scenes, and like how it's revealed through editing, right, because it's sort of uh, the initial episode they did it that one way where they pull back, backwards through, and sort of created this whole style for it, and then that was sort of the template. ends up getting used for um,
1: other episodes but a toned down version if i remember correctly yeah they they built this kind of motif where um as the as the detectives going through the the scene you essentially get your flashbacks in reverse as the the crime scene is like visually unpacked for you and um they they have this really kind of trippy metronome that that flashes across the screen so it, it you're your blood splatter, you know, as it's seen on the on the floor, uh, as the metronome kind of crosses screen, the blood splatter disappears, and then you see the, the you know the moment of violence that actually caused it, <laughs> and things like that. Um, so it's this great way of it's kind of like a nice little ellipsis. It's a nice way of like shrinking down, um, being very economic about how you show your before and after, so that you can get into the mind of the detective and see what he's seeing and how he imagines this violence occurring. Did you get to see anything or do anything with the rushes at all or how they assess the rushes um no one of the things they talked about in the in the lecture that was interesting is that you know they're they're cutting at a fairly you know quick pace uh but they've got a very long show the show is very well scripted and so if what has been scripted runs long they're they can be in a pickle you know and uh, michael doherty was talking about trying you know you figure out as really experienced editors, they're used to you know, building assemblies uh, off an eight day shoot in nine days. And then you get to the end of that and you're, you're, you've packed in this assembly that is just like, just, you know, core content. And all of a sudden you realize that you've, you've got nine minutes to cut. And I thought that that was a, a that was a really good example because, I mean, a lot of my experience, some of the things that some of the ways in which you end up trimming time for things is like reevaluating some of the dialogue to see how effective it is. And maybe you can trim down and be more uh, efficient, you know, and like obviously lopping off heads and tails of scenes, you know, taking out some of the air that really doesn't necessarily need to be there. And I think we're all, you know, we're all used to watching like a fairly, you know, fast paced thing, but that's something that they're not interested in compromising on the show. And I think that that's actually of great value. So one of the things that he was talking about is trying to figure out like leveraging uh, story elements. You've got something that, you know, Brian, the creator, has tried tried to, like, Impose on the on the episode and trying to figure out ways to to make the episode as effective as possible but you're gonna essentially have to lose like a three-minute scene here and a two-minute scene here and like when you lose entire scenes what does that do to the bone structure of of a a one-hour tv show exactly it's like you take something out and it could be a house of
0: cards so i want to get into your work too because you've been cutting for a while and you're just You've just come through the Canadian Film Center, so what what have you been working on, um, and how is that sort of affecting your view of the editing world? Because you've worked on some pretty cool stuff.
1: Uh, yeah, I was really lucky. I graduated in 2012, and uh, I, I got a job on a feature um, called Bankstas. Uh, it was originally called Cubicle Warriors, but it's been renamed Bankstas. And Bankstas is actually came out last night in the States. Uh, on, 100, on 100 screens, thanks. Yeah, it was really great to see that they got the US distribution for that, for a Canadian film. And that's a, uh, a buddy comedy about two finance grads who realize that their new employer uh, is trying to swindle students out of thousands of dollars. Uh, with so their student like, loans. So uh, like real life. <laughs> like, exactly. Not only like real life, but it's like a, you know, metaphor for the mortgage crisis and like what's been going on economically there but it's really it's really charming little buddy comedy um and i'm really happy that it's actually you know getting a a decent release is it going to be on the canadian screens for our listeners in canada Uh, it is going to be on the canadian screens uh we just don't know when yet we're just waiting on those details so that that was a comedy i did um, last winter and then i was uh, i did a a nice little toronto indie called uh, porch stories it's a, a really touching Film about a, a woman who's on the verge of marriage and uh, comes across an old love, and that's it's it's really nestled in like the, the heart of like uh, little Portugal in Toronto, mm-hmm. and those neighborhoods and the way our lives kind of interweave with each other, and uh, that's a black and white film that uh, was done by Sarah Goodman, and uh, most recently I've been working with Pat Mills on a comedy feature, a dark comedy named uh, called Guidance and it's a lot of fun as well as um, part of the telefilm microbudget program and we're really excited we're just in the finishing stages right now trying to lock picture and um, i'm excited to to get that one out into the world and i've got some other things coming up this summer but i uh... I'm crossing my fingers on those so i'll wait to talk about them i think one of the things that the the cce um, is really good at doing and especially now diane brunges has been incredible in terms of our our visibility online on Facebook and whatnot is like getting the word out and reminding people of every little success that our members have. Um, you know, quite often editors can be islands, especially if you're a freelancer, and uh, it's meant a lot to me. You know, without any sort of prompting or reminder uh, for self-promotion, you know, the CC has been like just like really on top of uh, the little things, whether or not you you've gotten a really good gig or whether the film you're playing is in a, sh- a short film festival or. They've been really incredible. And it's just to, f- to have that support is kind of invaluable because you spend you know, so much time, so much hard work. You know, a lot of times is, you know, people who are starting out freelancing know it's like you know, the, the rewards aren't uh, as evident uh, up front, but it's like it pays different dividends. The features I've been working on have really, really taught me a lot this year. Not only has it been really a really great experience, like freelancing and just devoting the time to uh, working one-on-one with these directors and developing really, really good collaborations, but it's, it's, it's an experience that I've kind of grown up within a, a company atmosphere all the time. And whether it's like working as an assistant or working as an editor within a company on a series. And so this really gave me a chance to um, kind of you know immerse Myself in the long form, and it's a different game. the The skill sets that you use, you know, in one environment don't necessarily apply, and uh, it's it's incredibly rewarding. You know, it teaches you a, like a new type of patience. It, you know, like there's a lot that goes. The, the, the skill sets that you think, from an outsider's point of view, might apply to being a feature film editor are not necessarily the ones that. <laughs> always you know create the best relationships or create the best product and it's also like really really I always try and be as open as possible with my material but you can always be more open I just it's really kind of seeing how far we've been able to push this material you, know, you get to a point where you feel like a scene just not working and you know I mean it's Nobody's fault. It's just there's, 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 there's just not issues. Not there, yeah. You know what I mean. It's not jiving, and that's really all it comes down to. And so, what are you going to do to make it work? So it's it's been a really great exercise in thinking outside of the box, especially because a lot of the feature films don't have the restrictions that a lot of television does. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't you're not working on the deadlines and the people over your shoulder all the time. It's literally about what you and the director are willing to put in to make something happen.
0: Now you. Because you came from animation, if I remember correctly. Uh,
1: Yeah, I started in animation. So, how does that
0: world differ from the editing world? Because you sort of touched on it a bit there, but
1: my, I yeah, I came from I I was an offline editor uh, and an animatic editor in uh, animation. I did some shows for the Cartoon Network and uh, Disney XD, and it's a it's a very uh, elongated process in animation. One of the things that happens is that the editor is involved very early on in terms of structuring the sound. Um, and working with the storyboards to determine the pacing. So, uh, people always said to me, you know, when I said I was an animation editor, they're like, well, what is there to edit? And, you know, in truth, once the actual shots come back, you're you're probably dealing with an extra third that you need to cut. Like, you're probably dealing with, like, you know, if your running time's gonna be, like, you know, 15 minutes, you might end up with, like, 18 or 20 minutes per episode. But up front, you're doing a lot of work that already helps trim the story down and helps make that uh, an efficient use of the animator's time. Are you working with the script writers at all? or? Uh, I wasn't working specifically with the script writers, we would definitely get the script, but the scripts would need to be locked so that the voiceover could, yeah. or the, the actual um, I've seen characters like, could be recorded. Like I've seen the Pixar process, which were
0: you with me in New York when yeah. they broke it down? Yeah, and and for Toy like, Story 3? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's insane. So was it like similar, like you're taking this, the voices and putting them in during that phase? Or was it like- hundred percent. Yeah.
1: yeah, so what we do is like, I would get a locked script and um, look at the storyboards and then the storyboards would be digitally scanned and, and uh, we'd bring them into the Avid and like lay them out on the timeline and then as the the dialogue would be recorded we would like throw the throw the audio in and just start building up the atmosphere and you know whether it's like i you know a lot of stuff i was working on was kind of geared towards like eight to ten year old boys or whatnot so um you know there's a lot of kind of slapstick sound effects and a lot of other things you need to build up in that to make sure that the comic timing is registering you also want to do as much as you can to help the uh, animators so if you can put those effects in to uh you know even just within the shot they they can really know like when that face slap needs to happen or when that you know like somebody needs to run into a door
0: now i know you're a cinephile so i always ask this question of everyone I interview and i'm going to sort of give that question to you but then ask you a second question what's your favorite
1: guilty pleasure film to watch guilty pleasure yeah One that you're embarrassed to tell people about. I, I mean, I'm not really. I, some people shame me for it, but Top Gun. Yeah. Yeah. The funny thing is, like, I watch such a broad range yeah. of things. It's like there's definitely. I think there's definitely things from the '80s that uh, you know not a lot of people are Respect. into <laughs> that, 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 I, that I find like a, quite quite a riot. But
0: now, with that in mind because you're you have a huge like you said like you have such a vast knowledge of films and watch so many films. what director or filmmaker or film, one of those three, whichever would you say that people have to see that most people haven't
1: personally there's there's a director that came to my attention. Um, I think around 2008, 2009. Uh, his name is Goetz Spielmann, and I mean, by a lot of standards, I mean people in the film community, a lot of people know who he is. He did a film back then called Revanche. and uh, prior to that, he did a film called *Entreras*. Uh, and he's an Austrian filmmaker, and I just, I just think that there's, he's, he's very, there's a similarity on some level to the work of uh, Michael Haneke, who's kind of really uh, blown up and maintained a, a more popular presence with his last three or four, uh, his back-to-back Palm d'Or wins. But um, yeah, I think Goethe-Spielmann has a lot to say and I'm just, I'm a real sucker for um, for formalism and there's just some really, there's a lot of really nice formal control. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of uh, low budget films that are doing a lot of handheld stuff and there's great films out there, but I really, really uh, love when a filmmaker like goethe has such, has such a really specific idea and a very controlled vision of exactly what uh, he wants to do with the camera, and that camera is very steady and very deliberate, and um, I, I find it, his, his pacing and, and tone kind of immaculate.
0: Well, thanks for joining me for The Cutting Room.
1: So that was my interview with
0: Brian, and of course, congratulations to Brian on his big feature he's doing this summer. Of course, you can get the assembly, aotg.com assembly. You can check out the CCE. It's cceditors.ca. And I'm your host, Gordon Burkell, and I look forward to our next episode. It should be coming out much sooner than this one.